We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show. How we doing tonight? Ivy Nation Sports Talk off and running. I'm Sean Styers. Bobby Hensley is here tonight. Great to have you with us as always. How are you tonight, Bobby? I'm doing terrific. I got to see you. I get to talk to you. Like sometimes it's like once a week. Man, that feels like a long time <laughs> between our visits. Well, you know, I don't know if we've had this. I don't think we've had this conversation on this show before, but <clears throat> you're the worst texter in the world, like responding to text. So like if you include texts as conversations, it's very hard to converse, you know, when 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 the texts are going one sided. So. Well, one sided. If you say like, hey, see you Thursday, am I supposed to reply and well, say, yes, now I, you I, know. I have received you know, this? You know, when I text you, it's more than that. You know that. Come on now. Come on. So I reply, I think, in a, in a reasonable amount of time. Everybody has tears, you know, like the person that you reply to the most, and uh-huh. the second most, and then you'll get to it when you get to it. You're the get to it, get to it guy for me. Yeah. Okay, the get to it, get to it guy. Okay, all right, that's interesting. Hey, I show up. That's right. So we've got a big show today. Uh, We're going to review the Manti Teo Netflix documentary. Are you fired up and and ready to go? We've each watched the two parts over the last couple days. I even watched part two twice just to make sure I was absorbing everything. Are are you ready for it? I've seen the YouTube chat going on here. People People are pretty fired up, it looks like. I mean, I'm ready to give it a whirl. You're going to have to help me with part one, part two, because I watched it straight through. Okay. All right. So you have to break down if that was part one or part two. It's a pretty easy delineation, but we'll, 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 you know, we're not, right. we're not, we're not going to get too detailed on, you know, what came in which part and all that start stuff. But as we start, of course, don't forget, hit that like button, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff, wherever you watch or listen, it is greatly appreciated. Before we get to Manti Teo, and uh, the Netflix documentary, a few notes coming out of Marcus Freeman's press conference today. They held a scrimmage today, a 90-play scrimmage. Offense won the scrimmage. They, uh, they they called it a jersey scrimmage. And so the uh, since the offense won, they got to keep their blue jerseys, I guess. So there you well, go. So they got that going for them. At least there was an incentive because it gave them a reason to try. Yeah. Uh, downer note, of course um, – we touched on yesterday Jarrett Patterson being out of practice yesterday. He has a foot injury, and uh, it, it is a sprained foot. Marcus Freeman says they're going to rest it for 7 to 10 days, 
see if Patterson's able to practice. Um, Ten days would put him back a week from Saturday. So, like, if he sits for, you know, for a full 10 days because he was out yesterday, day before that, 10 days puts him a week from Saturday, which is exactly one week from the Ohio State game. Freeman says he is questionable for that game. So you've got your best offensive lineman, most experienced offensive lineman, definitely with 34 starts over the last three years. He is potentially going to be out. So they've got Andrew Kristoffic, Rocco Spindler splitting reps at guard. Of course, you've already got Avery Davis out. Like, like how, like scale of one to 10, how concerning is this, Bobby, when you're just a little bit more than two weeks away from heading to the horseshoe? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's a good thing they're opening up with a cupcake, right? <laughs> um, I think it's fine. And I think that's almost why you do the scrimmage when you do it, because the guys, you know, they're going to get their bumps and bruises, you know, the next day, and they're going to have time to recover. And then you can, you get the callus off kind of like where you're used to getting hit. And I think that um, that's perfect for them. I, if, if, it, if they're being honest, if it really is a week from Saturday, he'll be ready to go. And he still has another week to ramp back up and get ready for game speed. I think it's fine. I think that's why you do this now for those little Nick's, Nick injuries. That's like nothing terrible, nothing that's going to put you out. But it's it's going to be – I think that's why you do it when you do it. Yeah. And, you know, Marcus Freeman said it's going to be basically based on how much pain Jarrett Patterson can tolerate, how much pain he's experiencing, and how much he can tolerate. It'll be really interesting to see. You know, somebody on Twitter said, well, can he just take a cortisone shot? And, you know, the, the, well, I'm sure that happens, but this also isn't the NFL, and it's, and it's week one. So as much as you would obviously really love to have Jarrett Patterson out there against Ohio State, you still have at least 11 games, if not 12 more to go, if you get, you know, going to a bowl game after that. So you 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 don't want to, and you know, the guy is just coming back from a torn pectoral muscle as well. So he's, you know, he, and he's been through so much just to get to this point to be back. And now he sprains his foot. He had a foot injury a couple of years ago at the end of the season that kept him out of the last four games. And he missed the college football playoff game against, um, uh, Alabama, and, you know, so now he's got another freaking foot injury. And it's, you know, it's like you you just, as much as you'd like to have him out there, I don't think you want to be pushing him back too soon. I, you know, I think Marcus Freeman's right. You know, you, you, you kind of, you kind of put it on him and you make sure that whatever decision is made, that the guy who is involved, Jarrett Patterson is completely comfortable with it. Yeah, but I mean, like I say, that's that's kind of football is a contact sport. Everybody's going to be full contact. It reminds me of Drew Tranquil, who just couldn't seem to get rid of the injury bug, and every year yeah. it was something random. And it, so I think at this point in the season, I'd rather have it now, and then maybe he toughs it out and gets back to 100. Because if it happened in the first quarter against Ohio State, you wouldn't really say that he had it the whole. He wasn't in the whole game anyway. So if it's going to happen, I'm happy it's now, and I'm hope, happy it's. Not happy is the right word, but I'm grateful that it's going to be an injury that's not long enough that he should be back and good to go by the first game. And if he's not in the first game or if he's on a pitch count, as we say in baseball terms, you you understand that as well. He he would be still a valuable part of the team and still has the opportunity to play the whole season. Yes. Thank you, Irish One. Smash the like button. He knows where it's at. Um, Some other 
Injury updates. Logan Diggs, the running back. He's been in the red jersey for these first two weeks of practice. Marcus Freeman said he expects the red jersey to come off next week. Of course, he had the shoulder surgery after the spring. So that's really good news. Like, yeah, it, 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 get the red jersey off Logan Diggs, and he's going to be up and going and ready for that opener against Ohio State. You got a full stable of running backs ready to go. That's that's like uh kind of offsets this a little bit it's it, it's pretty exciting to, to think about logan diggs continuing to gear up and and be ready to go for that one you almost wonder if you're ever going to get in an opportunity where one of those running backs can make maybe run some routes and become like kind of a slot guy or something like that because i think they of will the, of the weaknesses that they've had from injury at the other position so any skill guy you're getting especially one that talented and that fast i think it's a really good thing and really optimistic Again, you know, those injuries are tough, but, you know, if you can get other guys that can maybe fill out the roster and then talent's talent. If you're fast, you're fast. If you can teach a guy to run the routes, then you might even force a guy that wasn't going to ever be a receiver or anything to become a great one. I'm looking at the positives and the optimistic side of this. You are. This is this is a new side of you. I don't it's it's a side that we very rarely see. So it's I'm not sure who I'm looking at right now on the other side of that camera you just bring out the positive in me sean i guess so (laughs) final note wide receiver Jaden thomas has a tight hamstring he rode the bike yesterday they're kind of easing him back in it's a grade one kind of hamstring strain that he has so again you know that's something you obviously don't want to rush you know getting back too soon from a hamstring so they'll take their time fortunately it's warm so that kind of helps out with the old hammies and stuff like that too yeah, and again, plenty of time to stretch stuff out. I know we're getting hungry and happy about football being here, but in terms of a nagging injury, you still have a couple weeks. They don't have to play. They can take their time. They can work it out. It's just uh, we're almost there. We're almost a football season. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. So, All right, let's get let's get going on this. Let's not waste any more time. Manti Teo <laughs> documentary. Um, it hit Netflix this week. It's called Untold: The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist. It, you know, we're dealing with 
a lot of Notre Dame fans, predominant Notre Dame fans. So everyone's pretty much familiar with the story. But this documentary chronicles the whole relationship between Manti and the person he knew as Lene Kakua. Started on Twitter and then Facebook and grew into phone calls over the years. He was obviously, you know, they obviously never met face to face. Um, it was never a girl. It was always a young man named Rania Tuiasasopo, who was a cousin of, like you recognize that last name, Tuiasasopo. Uh, he had some cousins and stuff like that who played in the NFL several years back. But so Manti and Rania, uh, they were both full participants in this documentary, as was Jack Swarbrick, as well as Tim Burke, who is the reporter who broke the story. He was interviewed like you were just talking about part one, part two, that was all in part two when they started talking to the dead spin guys and all that. Um, two parts. The first part basically goes from when they first connected through Manti's freshman, you know, during Manti's freshman year at Notre Dame goes up until Manti getting a phone call from this person he thought was a girl and thought was dead in early December just before the Heisman Trophy ceremony, when Johnny Manziel ends up uh, winning the Heisman. Uh, episode two then kind of picks up there and just chronicles all the craziness, the, the dead spin reporters, you know, all this stuff. The, you know, the, and you know, there were some spots maybe where they could have filled in the blanks a little bit more. You know, I don't know if they could have got another full hour out of this thing, but, uh, you know, it, it goes through the whole thing, the catfishing scam, the aftermath. Manti going on Katie Couric, uh, Rania going on Dr. Phil and you know, doing that whole thing and, and doing his slash her voice and, and the whole thing. So I kind of laid it out, Bobby, just some kind of initial thoughts on this documentary. Again, two part, two hours. Yeah, Robbie Toma. Thanks, Derek. Yeah, uh, Robbie, Robbie Toma. Um, Manti's bro from uh, back on the islands he was in it They're probably as got the well. scholarship because he was his bro <laughs> yeah and and some faces you know that that people here locally would recognize saw your boys the, the late great jeff jeffers and a young angelo de carlo in a sideline shot yeah. there was a shot of dean hubbard in a uh, local newscast uh, i'm trying to think that was pretty much it i think as far as you know local people that we saw i thought we might see you know maybe some more background of some different people and stuff like that but so that's kind of that's kind of where we are right now I'll, I'll, I'll kind of let you share some of your thoughts first of all well just the documentary I I mean that's why we're doing this today that's our topic but like there's a, so much to unpack there we'll get through a lot of it but I think one of the, the the first thing that came off to me was that Jack Swarbrick sat down for those interviews for yeah the interview he did I don't and like, I think it was an important piece of it as well to, you know, to kind of, you know, again, kind of help fill in some of the background and what they knew and, and some of those kind of things. But like his his vantage point of the story, like he's above it. It was a player at his place that got into the situation, but he could have big timed it and said, no, I'm not going to do an interview about this. And instead, he was incredibly candid, I thought. Yeah. He was one of, I mean, you didn't have a narrator, but I think he was almost the guy that Which tied I think it all was together. Good. I, I like the fact that there wasn't a narrator, that they let sure. all these people, you know, it was basically the people, you know, the, 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 I'm talking with my hands again. They, you know, they let these people, you know, the main, yeah. the, the main people, Manti, um, Rania slash Lene, 
And then you, you, those were obviously the two main ones. The fact that they had those two telling firsthand their stories and then Swarbrick helping fill in some blanks, Robbie Toma kind of giving some background from time to time as well. And then obviously the reporters, I mean, they had the most important people in this whole thing in there. Well, the, 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 the series called Untold, I really enjoyed. They've had several stories on there. That wasn't their first, that wasn't their debut into the documentary business of sports. Some of the other stories they've told, they, what makes the story so good and Netflix in general, when they do a documentary, they won't do it unless they get all the key players. And that's really interesting to me. I just, something about Jack Swarbrick wasn't what I expected. And then another takeaway I had, uh, not to be too controversial, but it said at the beginning of the screenings, we didn't know, or the beginning of the interviews that, that they were trans or became a woman after. So well, I'm wondering what the timeline was of all the interviews that was the only th that kept sticking out to me because obviously the story's over and dead. It's in the past. But when did they interview everyone? And then when they interviewed Teo, was he first? And then they knew what to ask other people. Well, I kind of wondered about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some of that stuff kind of happens all the time. Just like, sure, you know, with, with the Michael Jordan thing a couple of years yeah. ago, it's like they talked to this guy and you just like remember the iPad and and, mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. And, you know, then they go back and, and they went back and, to him. Yeah, apparently now. I was able to get some extra background information. And again, there are some blanks in the documentary. For example, from the time the email tip came into Deadspin to the time they broke the story, you know, they didn't lay that out at all in the documentary. Like if you were going to guess how long in any guess that you would, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot, any guess that you would have, like how long that took them digging up all that information and going from getting the tip to publishing the story? I mean, if you're asking me, there's two questions that you just asked. One, what did the documentary make it look like, how long it was? And two, how long was it actually? Right. And I don't know either answer, so I'm going to throw two answers at you. Okay. The documentary, I think, almost made it seem like it took them weeks, like maybe a week and a half, two weeks. Mm -hmm. And in my heart, I feel like it probably was only a day or two. If that a little more than a day or two, it was five days. And that's because Tim, Tim Burke, again, the author of the dead spin story, I listened to an interview with him this morning on uh, the SI sports media podcast with Jimmy Traina. He went on there and, and, you know, they, they actually spent a lot more time like talking about his background and what he does than the actual documentary. But that was the biggest detail I was able to take out of that. It only took him five days and really less than five days to dig all this stuff up. But this guy, like you saw in the documentary, he literally sits in a room and he says he has miles, you know, of coaxial and cable and all this stuff. And he's got multiple computers and satellite feeds in there. He does a lot of, you know, like he obviously knows how to access information that not everyone knows how to access, but he said he worked from like 5 p.m. to 3 a.m. that first day. And then the other guy, you know, so like he's working on one thing. The the other guy, I think his name was Jack Dickey or something like that, was working mm -hmm. on the one that trying, the to, trying to figure out who the person in the photo was, the photo that they were using, you know, supposedly Lene Kakua. And her name was Diane O'Meara, as uh, Brandon points out. And, you know, she was the girl in the picture. She went to high school with Rania. He, he knew her a little bit, but not really well. And so that's how that, you know, whole thing started out. That's how she got to be the person 
in the photo, but it only took five days for them to research all that. And, but in general, I think public. that where Renaya messed up, if you want to call it whatever, is that they, they've created all these profiles in this, this fictitious world, which we all know about. They tied themselves to it by hitting themselves as a friend. If you were one, like if you were going to make all these profiles and you'd never wanted to get caught, it seems like you could just not connect yourself to it, yeah. have a different world to it. But they, they, I think that the overall vibe was, was a little bit off because it's like, well, okay, why'd you add yourself as a friend on this fake profile? And why would you contact the person of the pictures you're using? There's too many crumbs being dropped that it's going to come back to you eventually. You know it's going to hit you. Yeah, so, you know, like, I know a lot of people were really skeptical when this story came out in terms of Manti and his involvement, you know, whether or not he was involved and could somebody really be that naive and all those different kind of things. I mean, you got to remember, this was this was like, you're going all, like, when this started, you're going all the way back to 2009, when this is just getting started. And then, you know, so like you're 2009 and then, you know, the crescendo is 2012, 2013. But social media is really still in its infancy at that point. You know, Facebook, Twitter. Now, I'm, I'm not saying it wasn't around, but I'm saying it's not what it is today. And just like, like today, it is much more common for people to have relationships long distance relationships, whether it be on social media, you can throw Instagram in there. Obviously you've got the dating websites, you know, and again, like the dating websites were still relatively just getting started back then. So I think so many people had a hard time believing, how could you have this relationship with this person long distance and call them your girlfriend, but you never even met them. I mean, like they do a whole TV show about this today. It's called 90 Day Fiance. These people are literally all the over the world. <laughs> well, that, that too. But I mean, I guess my point is it is much more common today. It's much more, I think, easy for people to believe that a long distance relationship like this could, you know, could be going on. I I understand what you're saying. And I agree. And you got to put yourself in that 2009 mindset. But but. On some level, if it's 2012 and you've never met, you've never seen a picture live or video chatted live because it was always too dark or the connection didn't work, there has to be more red flags. So I'm not saying that he was a well, part of it at all. No, I'm you're, just you're saying, right. There, you know, there I'm were. Saying that there's still was, a little bit of naiveness or a little bit of something. And that's that's off. what I was going to say. Like, I'm not going to, you know, claim to know Manti Teo personally, but I was in that media you know, throng back right. then. And Manti Teo was, you know, like, especially publicly. Now, everyone is a little bit different behind closed doors than what they are out in public, especially when there's microphones and cameras in front of you. He was a very soft-spoken person. And like, even well, they had Manti's parents as well. We forgot mm -hmm. about that. It's like Manti was like, you know, one, the whole thing kind of, the, the relationship started because he thought this person that he was having, you know, some kind of connection with online to whatever degree was having some kind of problems. And so it kind of snowballs from there. He shows some concern, some care, and that's where the connection really starts to build. And he, he really was a very trusting, caring, and the key word naive person. And I, and I don't say that as a pejorative, it, he, he was a naive person. And, you know, like, again, talking to his parents, you can, you can see that. So, you know, I can, I, 
And then once, Heart. once you know, once the story blows up and becomes what it is, it has already snowballed to a point where if you're Manti, how are you going to get out of that? And again, I think they well, captured that pretty well in this documentary. Well, hold on, because you're right. You're absolutely right. But I think that part of it's the culture, too, and like the family, the, the idea of family and connection. And I feel like every time and they don't really touch on it and I don't know how you actually could. And but every time it was about to end or not continue that the person on the other end kept they had cancer or they got into a car wreck or and then eventually the death but they kept stringing along manti so every time was, yeah there was always an excuse yeah because you're so right there every time it was about flag. to be done then yeah. somehow it came they fished him back in they kept fished him right back in and it, to me at some point it's like almost too i mean we looking at it through the the blinders you know now that we know what happened i guess when you're in the yeah. moment but you can't tell me that. Well, let's, some of their down. Let's let's get off like whether he did, whether he didn't, all right. that. Let's let's stick to the documentary sure. a little bit here. So, what's what's maybe the biggest thing you learned out of all this? I guess I just didn't. I didn't realize how long it had been going, and I didn't learn how close they were, like throughout the beginning and then the whole time. That it, and then that this person had catfished other people that Teo had reached out to. They show that in the documentary and he's like, Hey, do you know who this is? And they were like, yeah, I know who that is. And I just, I didn't know any of that. So it makes sense that they would have catfished other people, but I learned that. And like I said, just having the people so close to it, you hear the um, Teo's parents and Swarbrook and that Swarbrook maybe found out earlier than what they let on during the time as it was happening. I think that's what I learned the most. Yeah. It, what I mentioned, the fact that it took just five days, you know, for these two reporters to dig all this information up and the amount of information and detail they were able to get in the whole thing. And again, I get people are going to be skeptical of what, you know, they did or didn't do. But, you know, that, you know, that was part of it. Um, the other part of this is that I, I, I kind of always thought that there were multiple people involved in this, not just Renaya. And again, Renaya is the person behind this. At that time, he was from the Los Angeles area, played high school football, was a quarterback in high school. And I think it was as Stymie pointed out, a, you know, a Polynesian, yeah, homesick and, you know, an, a Polynesian connection, you know, mm -hmm. which kind of helped build that relationship with Manti. You know, so it was actually Manti, or it was actually Ronaya doing not just the voice of Lene, but there were other voices that were in there as well. And I mean, like even on, on uh, what Dr. was supposed Phil. to be Lene's Facebook account, oh, yeah. Renaya was supposed to be her cousin, you know? So, like, he gets tangled in to this whole thing, and they actually met and hugged each other. You know, Renaya hugged Manti after the USC game outside the Coliseum in Los Angeles as the cousin, you know, sort of a sympathy hug and all this stuff. And I think that's when really, you know, this – this kind of takes me into the, you know, the next biggest thing I le uh, I learned. So Renaya now has transitioned from male to female. And to me, like from, I'll, I'll just, I'll use the pronoun her because that's what she goes by now. It sort of, it, it sort of explains her infatuation and, you know, her strong infatuation with Manti and the links that she went to to continue this ruse, you know, I basically think she was in love with Manti and, and that's what, you know, led to the, you know, to the, to the whole catfishing scam. 
very confused person back then who has since transitioned. Sure. Um, that's interesting too, because some of the stuff that they were talking about, and like one thing that I didn't realize, and I don't know if anybody would, because at the time we didn't know what was going on, was the junior year decision for Manti to come back to Notre Dame yeah. or go pro. And Manti leaned on this relationship that he thought he had with this Linnea that he didn't. Um, again, nobody knew that advice. at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, and the, it almost seemed like the vibe I was getting was the parents were like, go pro. We can use that money. It'll help everything. <laughs> We're ready. And um, the fact that Nordine fans should almost be appreciative of Linnea for, for um, to ask Sopo for convincing uh, Teo to come back because that year yeah. was pretty magical. But I didn't realize that how much it wasn't just like he had a girlfriend that he talked to on the telephone. It was someone that he shared intimate details and made major decisions in life about. Was there a point when you were watching this documentary when maybe you were still skeptical or on the fence one way or the other, you know, about how you felt about this whole saga, but then you saw this and it really changed your thinking after seeing or hearing it. No, not necessarily. I, you know, it's so, I know it's a long time ago, but it's also still kind of recent at the same time, if that makes any sense. So to me, it was, it was interesting to see all sides and, the way Teo, I, what I was appreciative of is that Teo was raw with it. And um, he shared a lot of his life and shared a lot of his thoughts through the whole thing, during the whole breakdown of it, and then afterwards. So it almost made me feel, not that I wasn't sympathetic before, but it's like, wow, you really went through a whole lot. Even more sympathetic now yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. and you know, we should say, because I don't think we've said this, you know, like not only did Renaya take part, I mean, she copped to everything, like everything, the yeah. whole, how she, you know, plotted all this out, everything she did, the voices that she did. And you also saw her go, go on the Dr. Phil show. And I had kind of forgotten about this. He asked her, cause he, he had voice analysts once Manti, Manti released uh, some of the voicemails with the girl's voice on there. And so Dr. Phil, you know, and again, everyone can have their opinion about Dr. Phil and that's perfectly fine, but he gets, it's just crazy that he ends up in the middle of this whole thing, but he has Renaya on. He's got these voice experts from the FBI and the government analyzing the audio. And they're saying, you know, like 90 something percent, this is not you. And so Renaya goes behind kind of this, this curtain and kind of has to sort of get into character, I guess, is the way they explained it. And then all of a sudden, here's the, ex you know, here's the voice that we heard on the voicemails. And it was coming, you know, from behind the wall. That was, that was pretty jarring just to hear that. But I think the biggest thing for me, because I, I always believed Manti's side of the thing. Because like, I, you know, again, like we go back we didn't even talk about this. Like when we found out about this, I remember I'm standing in my kitchen, I'm cooking dinner. All of a sudden, I think my boss, you know, emails me the story and it's like, what am I reading here? And the next thing you know, within two hours, I'm over at the Goog at Notre Dame and Jack Swarbrick is doing a press conference and he brings up the term catfish, which I, it's like, I had no idea what he was talking about. And like they said, Manti's uncle told him at one point, I think you're being catfished. And Manti had never heard that term before. I, had you ever heard the term catfish before any of that, Bobby? 
No, I hadn't. And I hadn't heard of the show on MTV that was obviously, I guess they had already started filming. But I think the way that you describe that Twitter, Instagram, Facebook aren't the same now as they were back then. Mm-hmm. Back then, they also weren't as they were a couple of years ago. So that I think this story just happened at just the right time as everything right. was his infancy. And he became a poster child for it. And that's really why it exploded. It wasn't nobody yeah. had of any prominence has ever had that happen to them. Yeah. So, you know, you look at through those glasses, too. And like, how do you navigate out of it when you're the first person that's ever gone through it? And I think that the documentary did a great job of that. But no, I'd never heard of the term catfishing before. I think the thing, though, like if you watch this and maybe you were skeptical of Manti's side of this and see if you agree with this or not. He gets that phone call in early December and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, it's me, Manti, you know, it's Lane, whatever she said. And he's like, whoa, you know, blown away. Yeah. You know, first he, he thought someone was just screwing with him. And then, uh, you know, he, he basically ends up saying, if it's really you, then I want you to take a picture and I want you to have today's date in the picture. And I want you to have this certain sequence of letters that was supposed to mean something. And I want you to do, is this like the hang 10 thing? You know, like the, the, the two fingers and the thumb. I want you to do that. So Rania, again, because the girl in the photos, her name was Diane O'Meara, who Rania had gone to high school. And he didn't know her well, but he knew her a little bit. And they had had some contact over the years. So he texts her and says, take this pic, you know, do this, do all these things. Take this picture and send it to me because it's for this person who could really use some help. And, you know, he likes you and, and all this kind of stuff. So she does it. Rania sends it to Manti. What the hell are you going to think at that point? When you see the person you thought was dead doing all these things that you just said, if you send that picture, then I'll believe you. And here comes that picture with, you know, within a couple of hours. <laughs> like, what are you, supposed what would to you even be thinking you... at that point? What would you be no. thinking? The whole time you, well, I think you think a lot. I think he thinks that, <laughs> I think you think, oh God, what have I been going through? Oh God, was this real? I think you think a lot of things that are, are crazy, but the picture itself, obviously the person that took it didn't understand what they were a part of. Oh but, yeah. She, but she my, had no clue. Right, she had right. no clue. And like the, you know, the one but snippet of, of, of her talking, it's like, yeah, keep like, yeah. And they're they're a victim in this as well because yeah. they, they didn't deserve to be a part of it, but they are. And I just I can't believe that somehow Renaya reached out to get that photo and it worked. I wonder what Renaya what message Renaya I want to know exactly like I would love to know all of that. Like what was their thought sending a message to ask for this? Because at that point they're not friends, they're not cahoots, it's a random person. So obviously, and geez, how would you not think that it, it, at worst that they're real, right? Maybe the death thing, but like, geez, how could you, that, that was, that was the point of the documentary that was like, what? Yeah, so then within a couple of weeks, Manti goes to Jack Swarbrick, you know, in the administration prior to the national championship game and says, I think my dead girlfriend might be alive. And it's like, what? <laughs> you know, so they start going through, okay, let's not say anything publicly just yet. You know, they start getting their ducks in a row. And, you know, and from Notre Dame's perspective, they're obviously, you know, working on how they can do some damage control because that's kind of what, what Swarbrick was talking about. They've got all kinds of consultants and all these different people. So there's, you know, all these different conversations going on before the national championship game. And then, boom, January 12th drops when the tip 
comes in and, they and that try was to contact. Oh my gosh, that was the toughest part for me to watch. Was the they didn't spend too much time on the national championship game as they shouldn't. I don't think any viewer did either because <laughs> no, it was no. a blow. But that was almost really tough to watch because you yeah. just everything was crashing down around him. Well, I was it, there. It was really tough to watch. <laughs> I bet really I bet tough. Manti had a rougher time than you did with that no, game. No, you're you're absolutely right. Saw my boy Michael Birch pat him on the back though coming up through the tunnel. Former Notre Dame SID SID nice over guy, there. Yeah. Yep, yep. But so uh, I can't like that was. That was a rough part to watch because, and we all remember that game being a blowout. But then seeing the highlights of Teo just making missed tackles, and you know his life's in shambles, and his psyche can't be good, and everything that was so good all year just crashed down. And almost like the whole problem he had with this catfish, it was only you know the two-hour documentary about what four months of of real-time world. It's like that three-hour football game just it was devastating. Every part of his life was crashing down. Absolutely. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Who do you think most needs to apologize to Manti? I mean, there's two obvious answers, I guess. I I think a lot of people that were questioning him need to apologize, but obviously the apology needs to come from Renaya. And I'm glad that at the end of the documentary that he kind of lets himself um not apologize to himself, but he lets himself off the hook. It well, he, like. he got the uh, he, he got the goodwill hunting treatment. You know, Robin Williams, it's not your fault. That that whole thing from a psychologist he was talking to. The guy was like, "Have you forgiven yourself? Because it's right. not your fault." And and I mean, I think that was a great point that that someone probably need to impress upon him. But you know, like the whole anxiety that he went through, and like. You know, he, he's talking about people who would come up to him and say, hey, can I get a picture with you? And then, you know, so they get a picture with Manti Teo and then they walk away and they start laughing. Oh, it's the guy with no girlfriend, you know, that kind of thing. It's like going through that, all the, you know, because, again, he's one of the nicest people that you're going to meet. And to go through those kind of things over and over again and to be, you know, taunted and heckled in NFL stadiums. And the whole thing, and you know, to wonder what your teammates are thinking about you through all that kind of stuff. I just can't even sure. imagine. Well, I so who do you think needs to apologize the most? I mean, Renaya's obviously got to be public enemy number one in the situation. Well, she did. Then- I mean, she did apologize, you know, so that's at least out. You know, I don't know if she said it necessarily in the documentary, you know, but she said that she has apologized. She definitely apologized right before the story came out, and you know. At least yeah, but that's too late. <laughs> but but she but also she has at least 
fessed up to everything. So, you know, so again, I, we don't know exactly. I, I, I think that just in general, anyone who's ever made fun of Manti for any of this, if you watch this, if you don't completely feel differently afterwards, then, you know, you're, you're, you're like minus five on a scale of one to 10 on the human scale. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, those are the to, people who need to apologize to Manti Teo. Well, look at it this way. It, his life was very public and it was very embarrassing. And the strength that he had to go through that and become an NFL player, because he could have just shut it down and been like, you know what? I'm not going to risk getting heckled at all these games by all these fans. Could have just gone off and done something else, I'm sure. But the fact that he was strong enough to face this and go through it, what was the most embarrassing? I'm not, you know, share, I'm saying like out general, what's the most embarrassing moment of your life? And how right. many people would you want to know that embarrassing moment? Right. And there's, and there's I'm, nobody, there's I'm, nobody I'm that would, about, I'm, I'm just saying, tripped on the stairs. there is nobody that would want the whole world to know the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to them or the worst thing that's ever happened to them. You wouldn't want that to become public. Right. And that's what happened to me. But it's not like even like the most embarrassing moment. Public. Right. It's not like your most embarrassed moments like falling down the stairs or look, right. look at all the people that get canceled on Twitter culture and stuff. The most embarrassing thing of your life, do you want the whole world to know and then become the face of it? Like if you were the first one that tripped, you know, like it's a terrible example, but I'm saying his was so exponentially more embarrassing. And the fact that he stayed strong enough to himself and his beliefs and his values, it's it. I think that no matter where you were, even if you were completely on his side, now on that one to 10 scales you were talking about, now you're an 11 even more on his side <laughs> because just the fact that he could face it and that he agreed to do the documentary and agreed to show his side. And like we said, I saw somebody in the chat. Yeah, he's made a lot of money, but his reputation will always be that he was the catfish guy. Yeah, I'm sorry, but having a few million bucks doesn't make up for any of this you're still a person and whether you have a stack of money sitting over here or not everyone still has feelings and they still have to go out and function in public somehow and when you're a public figure there's even that much more scrutiny on you so having well, some money you know that'll that'll obviously pay the bills and you know get you a house and a car and whatever else but you still you still have to live with yourself and you know live with with you know, your family and, and friends and everybody else for the rest of your life. You know, you still well, like you still have to figure some things out. That's why MTV had the show Catfish already, because it's such an embarrassing people are fascinated by it. And like the fact that he was just the first person, like I already said, of prominence that yeah. was already active. It wasn't like he was a retired well, guy. It's just crazy. Stymie that, just pointed out like he wouldn't have ended up with the Chargers. He wouldn't have been the number 38 pick because like. You know, you know, like one of the things that stood out to me, too, is just mm -hmm. the rush and the speculation about his sexuality. Everyone wanted to know, is he gay? And I mean, they're talking about this on news programs on TV. And I remember doing a radio interview with someone in another market talking about this. And the last thing they asked me is, so do you think he's gay? And I said, look, I don't think that that matters one iota. And it's, you know, like it. it how is how is that even relevant to this conversation? And it's not something I'm going to speculate on, you know. And and that was well, that was I the don't end know. of the interview. And I just can't believe that you had these, you know, I'm like like they had a, a Mike Florio on the Dan Patrick Show clip, and Florio was saying every NFL team wants to know is Manti Teo gay? 
Right. And I don't know your timeline of when you did that interview from when the story broke, but it seems like that whole story was big for, you know, it's still big. That's why there's a Netflix documentary. But I think that people started to question that because it was, was he a part of the story? Did he initiate someone doing Linnea so that he had an excuse to be? And like you said, even like when that became abundantly clear that he didn't have any part of that and that his life was, was shattered. I don't understand why anybody would even care about that. I, the guy got catfished. It didn't mean that he's gay. It doesn't mean he's straight. It doesn't mean anything. It has nothing to do with the story. Right. It's 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 disappointing, even in 2012, that that was how the culture was. So I feel like yes. that's still exactly. kind of relevant these days, but hopefully people are more accepting and not so judgmental or accusatory or even curious about something that doesn't matter. When the story was, he got catfished, his life was in shambles, and he's still trying to become a professional athlete. And here's another thing we haven't really brought up. He was how old? 21. I mean, yeah, that's incredible that he could go through all that at 21 because a lot of people wouldn't be that strong. And that's something, you know, you know, I don't know about you. I mean, you you fall more on the skeptical scale than I do in general, um, not on this, by the way. Right, in general, I'm, yeah. I'm saying in general, <laughs> like I remember when I was in that teenage to early 20 years, I would call myself a very naive person as well. And there were a couple times I was taken advantage of, you know, because not, not to obviously to the extent that we're talking about here, but those kind of things happen. And it's like, you learn from them and it, it definitely changes you as you go through life. You know, it's, it's, it, 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 either you're going to continue to fall prey to those kind of things, or it's going to harden you in some ways and, you know, and it's going to change you. But I would say that you know, again, like when you go back to the naivete that Manti had, I being, you know, we were all that age at one point. And I'm not saying everyone was completely naive, you know, in, in it all depends on your life experience that led you to that point. But again, I was, and I, I can, I can easily see where that, you know, where he could, where someone could fall prey to that kind of thing. And it's like Stymie says in the chat, his strong faith made him a rich target for national media. And that's kind of the, the, if he was just a normal player, if he was just an average guy, it wouldn't have been as important. But the fact that he was so rich in his faith, that he was such a, a strong human, a leader. And he was, when he got to Notre Dame, they touched on it in the documentary, how much of a leader he was his first year, you know, before the first game even. And you, you get something like that. And, if he had been a guy that had a DUI or something, I'm not saying they wouldn't have made a big deal about it, but it wouldn't have mattered as much. The fact that this clean guy that's done everything right, that said every right word, that's led in every right way, that's led by faith, all of that, any way they can trip him up, the national media wanted to see him trip It up. rolls into the story. It rolls yep. into the story. And that's, Bobby, we've come to the end, and it's the end of the week for the show. That's, you know, another week down the drain. That's right, baby. Vince One and I are going to be out. Football. Yep, Vince and I are going to be out at Notre Dame tomorrow, watching a little Notre Dame football practice. So uh, we'll have some of that on next week's show. Some things that we see. Brian Driscoll, of course, will have some on uh, his shows over the next couple of days as well. Two weeks from Saturday, kickoff, baby. It's coming, and I think Brian and I were talking. I think that you know Vince and I are going to be doing this game day show every Saturday morning before Notre Dame games. I think next week we are going to do kind of like a preseason 
show. So if you play your card rights, cards right, maybe we'll even let you come in and, and be a part of that. I'll give you something to say. We need some comic relief. Yeah, looks aren't everything. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, we appreciate you being here. Like, rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. Have a great weekend, and we will talk to you next Monday, Bobby. I will talk to you later. IB Nation Sports Talk. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.